radio that isn't bought and paid for by the usual bad guys, please subscribe to Truth Jihad Radio. You can go to truthjihad.com or you can visit my substack at kevinbarrett.substack.com. By subscribing, you will get early access and free downloads. Hey, welcome back. It's the second hour now of Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett broadcasting live from the wild woods of western Wisconsin, talking to all sorts of interesting folks about hyper-controversial issues. And we do go way outside the box. We sometimes talk about science versus myth. We talk about conspiracy theories and uh, marginal, crazy, wacky ideas, some of which turn out to be true. In this particular show, I'm pretty sure that the crazy conspiracy theory that there is a criminal cover-up among the health authorities, and that includes Big Pharma and the medical and relevant portion of the scientific industry that Big Pharma influences, as well as academia and the media, there is a criminal conspiracy to cover up the fact that the childhood vaccination schedule is harming a lot of people, and they are criminally refusing to do the studies that could prove or disprove that. So that particular goofy, wacky, wild, and marginal theory is, in fact, absolutely true and proven beyond my satisfaction. However, there are some other wild and wacky theories that are obviously false. And the most obvious one is, of course, the flat earth theory that popped up just as Cass Sunstein said that it was time to do some cognitive infiltration on the 9-11 truth movement and inject some beneficial cognitive diversity into the lives of the truthers and uh, disable the purveyors of the 9-11 conspiracy theory. And to a certain extent, I think they've succeeded, but that's why I don't usually talk about flat earth on the show. However, tonight we're going to make an exception and go boldly where very few, if any, of my radio shows have gone before, and talked to Sterling Harwood about life on Mars and Genesis, the Bible. Does the Bible say the Earth is flat? Does the Bible say that God created life only on Earth? And therefore, if there is life on Mars, or if there was, then the Bible is wrong. And there goes Christianity. Hmm. I I don't think it's that simple. I really can't imagine that, but... Who knows? Let's talk to Sterling. Sterling, hey, welcome. How are you doing? Hey, hey, Kevin. Uh, thank you for having me on Revolution Radio. Great to be here. Yeah, good to have you back. Uh, you, you often bring up all sorts of interesting and bizarre perspectives, and, and you're one of the few people that can come on here and talk rationally about <laughs> re- the really wacky and unlikely-to-be-true conspiracy theories like Paul McCartney is dead, flat earth and such. So it's it's uh, it's a it's a niche, an important niche, and I'm glad you're filling it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I try to debunk a lot of um, conspiracies, although there are some that everybody agrees on. I mean, even the official story is that 9/11 was a conspiracy, right? You can't crash four planes on the same day uh, with one pilot, or even uh, I suppose you might have a drone situation. Somebody could remote control it, but nobody seems to be alleging that but uh, everybody seems to agree that 9-11 was a conspiracy so i don't know why people are so damn on conspiracy theories and obviously jfk has a baseball-sized hole out the back of his head and oswald was firing from the rear if he was firing at all 
and he wasn't firing baseball-sized bullets or exploding frangible bullets. So there's a that's a good example of a conspiracy. So I do accept a few, but I mainly debunk them. In my book, uh, The Beatles' Greatest Mystery, you mentioned Paul is Dead. That's where that uh, comes from. I have a book on Amazon called The Beatles' Greatest Mystery, and uh, The Greatest Mystery of the Beatles, actually. And uh, But the three other chapters in the book, uh, besides Paul is Dead, are Apollo 11, uh, Neil Armstrong's one of my heroes, and so I, I don't uh, debunk the moon landings, but I give it uh, a pretty good run for its money there. And uh, But there's no stamp, coin, or piece of currency in the U.S. that honors Neil Armstrong by name or depicting his face. And it's very peculiar because he's got to be the greatest explorer in American history, and I think he's the greatest explorer of all time. And then we talk about the Vietnam War conspiracy theories. How did they get these Buddhists uh, and Catholics uh, to fight so hard against the superior tech of America? So, um, and I think uh, there is an answer to that. So I don't think that Nixon and Ford and Kissinger had a conspiracy to throw the Vietnam War in exchange for opening up China to Kissinger and Associates. Uh, there is an explanation how you can put a, a Buddha at the barricades, as I say. So I talk about the JFK assassination and the Paul is dead urban legend and Apollo 11 and the, the uh, Vietnam War. So it's the four chambers of the heart of the 60s. The, four, the subtitle of the book is about the skeptical 60s. So that's yeah, where I'm it's, coming it's a good from. Book, and it's, it's a well, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. where I'm coming from on these things. Yeah, and, and you know, I think it's your uh, job on the Paul is Dead theory shows how to deal with a uh, slightly uh, improbable theory in a very uh, fair-minded and sort of rational way. So congratulations on that. Well, well, thank you. you. That, yeah, and yeah. I mean, that, that spoiler theory, alert: Paul yeah. Paul is alive. Spoiler Paul alert: Paul is alive. Okay, <laughs> and another spoiler spoiler alert: the Earth is round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so you can read the book to figure out how alive he is, maybe. Uh, <laughs> okay. So maybe there are degrees of how much animation he is in his step these days. He's 80 years old now. Yeah, I keep trying to get him to call into my show. And uh, I, I actually did a, a, sh a show with Jim Fetzer, who actually believes the Paul is dead theory. Yeah, I and, know. I debated yeah. him on one of your shows. Yeah, yeah. So I did a show before that, way back, I forget how many years ago. And he he was arguing for the Paul is dead theory, and I he told him, that, you know, yeah. yeah, I was trying to get Paul to call into the show and try to convince him <laughs> that he was alive. But yeah. we got something better. We got my my friend uh, uh, Len uh, Johnson, the John Lennon impersonator, who does a well, he doesn't oh. make me call impersonator, but he does a really good John Lennon. So he called uh -huh. him, and uh, and uh, he had Jim going for a minute. He was just a, uh, John yeah, from beyond the grave. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of Alan Reese uh, territory, uh, talking to folks beyond the beyond. So yeah, uh, yeah that's I, true. I mean, we probably shouldn't get too deeply into that, though. I think you know Alan has to yeah. wanted to come on my show and get get down with that topic. But so so getting yeah. into this Bible stuff. Uh, okay, you're arguing that li if there was life on Mars, then that should apparently debunk the straightforward interpretation of the Bible. But you sent me all these Bible quotes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe my brain just doesn't compute in terms of interpreting um, scripture in a really doggedly literal way. So uh, it, 
like I have a hard time imagining that anybody would read the Bible and think the earth is flat uh, or read the Bible and think that it proves that God only made life here on earth. But go ahead and, and tell me why they might think that. Yeah, it's it's them, not me. I'm I'm certainly not defending flat earth. And they also go on further and say it's a motionless uh, earth. It's fixed and it's flat. And uh, but the way I got into this was I saw this uh, article about Mars. As you say in your promo, I, I went to Mars to uh, uh, put the Christianity on its uh, heels here. Uh, it's just a literal interpretation of Christianity that I'm uh, hunting here. I'm not hunting all of Christianity and figurative interpretations, uh, but there are literal interpreters of the uh, Bible out there for sure. And I, I know some of the ones, a, a good friend of mine, Dave Wagner, Ph.D., of San Jose, former student of mine. And uh, Edward Hendry, he may have heard of as a flat earther. He's on YouTube. And he's got a book uh, called The Greatest Lie on Earth. And then Eric Dubay, D-U-B-A-Y, has got the book and uh, several videos on YouTube. So uh, and how so, many of these guys are getting paid by uh, Cass Sunstein and his friends, do you think? Well, pardon me, I couldn't hear you. How many of these guys are being paid by Cass Sunstein to cognitively infiltrate the conspiracy and alternative worlds and spread this this nonsense? Because I, you know, I, I first noticed flat Earth really in a big way when I discovered that my uncle, who was an engineer, uh, who actually uh-huh. ran the waterworks for a major city, uh, actually fell for this flat Earth stuff well after his retirement. I sat with him and watched a bunch of flat Earth videos, and I was shocked at the amount of money that had been spent on production values for these videos. They were really slick, really expensive. I mean, somebody spent more on on five minutes of one of these zillions of flat earth videos than have ever been spent in all of history on every 9-11 truth film in existence. And they've been seen literally billions of times, you know, 100 million views plus for for loose change alone, right? So the 9-11 truth movement operating on a shoestring budget produced relatively low production values uh, movies, and you take a look at these flat earth movies and they are slick Hollywood style productions. Where did the money come from to promote? Yeah, flat they earth really are slick. I, I confirm that. And, but part of it is, is they're dedicated. I mean, these people, these are like the people who are willing to give up all their money for a doomsday cult. To yeah, give all their tr- money to the leaders are dedicated too, but we don't, we, nobody has the resources to put out that kind of stuff. Yeah, but this is, you know, 9-11 truth is not really in the same category as a religion. I mean, that kind of dedication. If you think you're going to be rewarded in heaven with eternal life, uh, a few extra bucks uh, here in this life are really not a big issue. But I think the 9-11 truth is a lot of those people are architects and engineers, and they're grounded in the real world, and they don't have their eyes set on a prize and, you know, with pie in the sky and, when you die and don't fry, you know, they're not looking to get heavenly rewards. They're just trying to get exposure to the truth. But I do think that there are infiltrators, not just in 9-11, but in the uh, moon landing uh, deniers. I think they want to discredit them to keep the NASA budget uh, protected. And I think we probably landed on the moon. I'm not so sure about Apollo 11, though. That's the most problematic one. That was the first one, of course, and Neil Armstrong. But they landed five more times so if any one of the six landed then we landed right so yeah, well, um, yeah, the, the overall argument against the apollo moon landings is obviously 
a lot stronger than flat earth, but of course that's not saying much. Oh yeah. And, and it's a lot stronger than Paul is dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, actually it's not, it's not an outrageous idea. If you stop and think about it in historical terms, you look at, at that period when uh, Kennedy announced we were going to the moon by 1970 and then it became a situation where the American empire and its military industrial complex, which is the heart of that evil empire, needed a quote unquote successful moon landing. Oh, and yeah. For public they relations definitely had purposes. a. If they yeah, couldn't they do it, they would have faked it, of course. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely had a, a motive to lie because, uh, well, there's the budget to protect for one, but also, yeah, it was a propaganda victory in the Cold War, and we had just experienced Tet where they surprised us. They took over a thousand cities and even the U.S. Embassy in Saigon, uh, and we didn't know anything about it. I mean, how can you know, people talk about nobody can keep a secret? Well, there's a wonderful example of, you know, a thousand different combat units keeping a secret. We had no clue that they were going to uh, spring that attack on Tet. There was one guy, one commander in the south in the Yitrang Valley, I believe, who moved some of his forces closer to Saigon because he detected some kind of uh, bleeding out of the forces he was usually fighting, and they were going off to other areas. So he's the only guy who had any kind of an inkling. And it was just a little bit of an inkling. And he just moved his forces a little bit closer to Saigon because he thought maybe they had bled away and were going to attack over there. And sure enough, they did. So uh, so secrets can be kept. But anyway, I got into this. You know, I, I have an interest in space because of Chapter 3 in my book and, um, and Apollo 11 and all that. So I see the space story about um, they've discovered microbial life organic compounds in a river delta on Mars. I mean, a river delta is fan-shaped, and every single sample they took, it's not just one sample, because you'd worry about contamination, right? Because uh, we've landed so much junk on Mars, that, and there are these creepy critters. Uh, they start with a T, but I'm blanking on the name. Uh, something like tartites or something like that, that they can survive in space. And so sometimes microbes can survive in space. So when we land a bunch of junk on Mars and have it roving around, uh, you wonder maybe it's contamination. But no, this is 3.5 billion years old life that they found. It's microbial. It's not intelligent life. It didn't build the face in Sidonia or uh, any kind of Martian pyramids or anything uh, or any Martian canals that you might be worried about. Uh, it's microbial life from 3.5 billion years ago, but it raises a puzzle for Christians because in Genesis, you know, it's Adam and Eve. And if you start having life breaking out billions of years ago on Mars, uh, Kevin, it could be Adam and Steve. It well, might not be Adam wait, and Eve. It might be Adam and Steve. Well, what does Steve have to do with Mars? <laughs> well, they could be, I don't know, it could be a totally different kind of life. It could be Adam and Steve where they... They have mitosis or something. They just kind of uh, maybe, they, like yeah, maybe Adam and Steve both clone themselves. On the other hand, they're seeing yeah, to be maybe, yeah, they could clone themselves or they could have asexual reproduction. So it wouldn't have to be Adam and Eve anymore. It could be Adam and Steve. And yeah, but where you know, there, prob- there may very well be reasons why uh, so much of life, especially the more advanced forms of life. Uh, engages in sexual reproduction rather than asexual uh, cloning uh, and self-cloning. I had Josh uh, Middledorf on my show talking about this, and 
he makes the interesting point that you know if neo darwinianism was true then one would think that all life forms would clone clone themselves because you know each gene is the selfish dawkins gene is trying to reproduce lots of selfish little dawkinses and so it should just clone dawkins right i mean it shouldn't be uh, throwing in with the rest of the gene pool to reproduce and you know if each each thing is trying to be the fittest all the time and uh, it should be reproducing itself. It shouldn't be going back and, you know, having to mix with something else. So, yeah. uh, and, and the other big mystery besides the mystery of sexual reproduction is the mystery of death. Why does anything die? Because again, if everything was always trying to be the most fit, then everything would last forever. Like it would want to be able to reproduce, not just, you know, let's say in human terms from age, you know, 13 to 70, but it would want to live forever and keep being able to reproduce forever. And that way it would have a survival advantage over whatever couldn't do that. And so it would pass itself down. So in other words, the fact of death and the fact of sexual reproduction are both seemingly kinds of what we might call altruistic behaviors by uh, the genetic code, which should be striving purely selfishly, according to Dawkins and his acolytes. And so the upshot of this is that, as Josh says, if everything was really neo-Darwinian, what would happen is that, you know, the first truly selfish gene would destroy its ecosystem because it would come up, it would become the fittest thing and it would gobble up all energy within <laughs> its environment, its ecosystem. And that ecosystem would then collapse and it would die and it would be gone and it would never pass down its genes again. So the uh, altruism of death and sex and various other kinds of altruism, coyotes not e- eating as many rabbits as they could, even when they're hungry and, they're, and they would like to make little coyotes with, out of rabbits, et cetera, et cetera, the actual behaviors we see in, in life, uh, there's massive altruism, massive self deliberate self-limitation. And that, uh, that could be why there are very few advanced critters uh, and other life forms that clone themselves and that, that live forever. So that's that's his take anyway. So maybe most advanced life forms, whether on Mars or Earth or Alpha Centauri, uh, actually are uh, sexually reproducing with a built-in self-destruct mechanism that makes sure that they're not immortal, which is what death is. Death is not, it's not because you wear out, it's because you have a built-in self-destruct mechanism that, that takes you down according to a clock. Yeah, it could be uh, like Robert Heinlein, uh, Stranger in the Strange Land, where you have uh, uh, asexual uh, being or something. But uh, I don't think those two issues are going to really defeat Darwinism because uh, the sexual uh, aspect, you know, the Cambrian explosion coincided with sexual reproduction. So you get a lot of variety. See, variety is the spice of life. You've heard it before. It's still true. Um, and That's it's sort of like one of those Star Trek wife. episodes when you have the Star Trek episode and you have some creepy critter come through the air vents and then everybody, uh, ends up getting, uh, unconscious except for, uh, the crew members of a different species, like maybe Spock will still be unaffected because he's a half breed and it, it makes all the humans unconscious, but, you know, uh, the Klingon guest on board or the, or the Klingon in the brig and the, uh, Spock character, they, they survive and they're able to figure out a way to flush the uh, enemy invader out and in, back into space or something. So I think one of those episodes, if you have variety, uh, it's hard to be wiped out entirely by some bug. And they're having that problem now, now that they've done all this, uh, you know, putting fish genes and tomatoes and, I think corn, the, the, 
they don't have as many varieties of corn genetically as they used to. So now they're having these blights come along where uh, some disease comes along and wipes out way more corn than it would have ordinarily because they don't have enough variety. Yeah, and then yeah, death is uh, pretty obvious to understand because, you know, you'd have to have a nearly perfect system from the word go, and that's not how evolution works. It's supposed to get better and better slowly over time. And and you wouldn't want older, worn-out pieces. You know, there's degradation, sort of like a Xerox copy. Every seven years, we get a brand-new set of cells. And, uh, you know, there's degradation in the copying process. So uh, you wouldn't want an old, uh, worn-out copy to be consuming an infinite amount of resources because it wouldn't die. So you want it to be hang around long enough to reach the next generation and then maybe tell the grandkids some stories so you can learn the way the old one was. And now that we have TV and radio and books and everything, we don't even need people to you know pass along oral traditions uh, face-to-face anymore. You can just... Uh, record your you know story on video or audio or a podcast and then there you go you're you've got your immortal story right there without all the cost of feeding uh, gramps as he gets more and more decrepit and gets uh, more and more diseased or his copies of his genes that are made uh get degraded more and more with each seven year period I guess my radio guests then can actually use my archive as something to, uh, you know, show their grandkids about, you know, what they were doing, you know, back in the conspiracy days yeah. between 9-11 and World War III, which actually looks like it's going to break out any minute, but let's not even go there. Uh, let's, let's <laughs> yeah, go to I the think archaeologists will get a lot out of all the podcasts that are being made. Yeah, yeah. Someday, maybe the uh, the future uh, historians and so on will look back at all of this material and maybe they'll have, you know, some kind of supercomputer AI stuff to help them. And maybe they'll actually sort of figure out what was actually going on because, uh, most of us living in this time, I think, are ha- having a hard time figuring it out. Certainly the majority are, but you know, getting back to flat earth, you say that in the Bible, you list a whole bunch of Bible quotes that have been taken to support flat earth. Uh, such as Daniel 4.11, the tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. And so that tree obviously couldn't be visible everywhere on earth if it was round. It only could be if it was flat. Hmm. Is, does that mean that the Bible is telling us the earth is flat? Yeah, see, the literal interpretation of the Bible has a lot of problems with it. I mean, one is this Mars microbial life from 3.5 billion years ago, because the way they literally interpret the Bible is that the Earth is only six or 7,000 years old. That's the younger, uh, because they younger counted, creationism. Yeah, they count the number of generations that are mentioned in the Bible. And if you're going to have a literal interpretation of the Bible, Noah's going to have Tyrannosaurus Rex aboard, a couple of those on board the Ark. And they're going to be kind of hard to control, Kevin, those T-Rexes. And then... Uh, all those other kind of creepy critters. So it's kind of hard to end. Jonah would be swallowed by the whale, of course. So it's only the literal interpretation of the Bible. I'm not trying to run down the Bible when you interpret it figuratively. And then Jesus literally walked on the water. I've seen video of frogs running across water with the surface tension. So, uh, but I don't think Jesus would be the greatest surfer of all time. However, (laughs) if he did uh, walk, you'd have to give him a... You know, that that's one where I would actually lean towards the argument that 
the you know, Jefferson and, and these you know, American founders who were deists and mostly Freemasons were barking up the wrong tree when they got rid of the miracles from the Bible. Didn't Jefferson publish the Jefferson Bible you know, by erasing all the miracles, right? So I, sure I, I think did. actually, in light of today's scientific knowledge, that was erroneous because we actually know that miracles can and do occasionally happen. And for people who want to know the scientific basis of that, uh, go back and listen to my show with Dean Radin, R-A-D-I-N, and you can find that by going to my UNS Review column. Go to UNZ.com and find me, Kevin Barrett. Click on Kevin Barrett, and then you'll see a search function, and just put Radin, R-A-D-I-N, into the search fun- function, and you can find that, or you can find any of my shows by following that methodology. So anyway, uh, yeah, miracles are real. Um People, well, you uh, don't have to tell me that because I remember I'm old enough to remember 1969. I was 11 years old, and the Miracle Mets beat my Baltimore Orioles. So we had won 109 <laughs> games that season, uh, uh-huh. and they beat us four games. We won the first game even too. We were leading one nothing, and we had Jim Palmer, Hall of Famer, and you know three of the four people who would later win. You know, we had four 20 game winners two years later in '71. Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson, a lot of Hall of Famers on that team, but we lost the four games to one with Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan. That's sort of an anti miracle. Yeah. yeah, that was a miracle. So, uh, all of the a miracle Mets they did lost. Well, it's a miracle that they beat the Orioles. So the, the Mets won, but the uh, Mets did win 100 games that year, so it's really not a miracle. Okay. Well, well, <laughs> and when, yeah, you have, so- when you have Tom Seaver and Nolan Ryan, you know, that's a pretty good one. You know, I, I wasn't really stuff. getting into the into sports miracles and things like that, and the theology of sports. Yeah. Like, you know, he's got a yeah. They fan. beat the Soviet Union, the nineteen eighty. That was a miracle. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I was talking more about things like the fact that um, among mystical adepts in certain parts of northern India, uh, uh-huh. people who devote several decades of their lives to being alone in a cave, uh, those people uh, and meditating. Uh, Constantly, it's very well known that at a certain stage, I don't know if it happens like about maybe 15 or 20 years after they've gone into the cave. And at that point, uh, as they meditate, they uh, are likely to start experiencing levitation. And Uh it's part part of the teaching is to not uh, pay too much attention to that. Uh, Certainly don't take pride in it or you're, you know, you're going to really curtail your future progress. But that's just one example. uh, Uh Uh-huh. And then there's the scientific study of um, ESP, uh, precognition, teleportation, Uh uh, psychokinesis, and these sorts of things. And that was all proven uh, scientifically seven ways from Sunday back in the 50s. And in fact, that's the very uh, most heavily proven part of, of modern science, because everything else in science almost never gets replicated. And indeed, there have been some uh, major scientific journals recently publishing on this, pointing out that there's a huge problem with ever getting anybody to ever, you know, replicate anything. Uh, and there's right. all, kinds of, all kinds of bad science out there, you know, probably half or more of uh, scientific studies are invalid, it turns out, with uh, with these ESP studies, study of Psi, PSI, yeah. it turns out that they have been replicated and replicated and replicated and re-replicated and fine-tuned. Uh. And because what happens is, you know, they publish a study, 
they find that, okay, if you put people into a trance using, you know, putting these two ping pong balls over their eyes and play this particular, you know, binaural beat frequency or something, and they get into this uh, alpha trance and you measure their alpha waves, and then you have them guess uh, something uh, where they should be getting it right 25% of the time by pure chance. And what you find is you just do this to random people over and over and over, and you get 36%, not 25%. Wow. I mean, that's, that doesn't, maybe that may not impress people that much, but uh-huh. in terms of beating probability theory, it's, you know, it's just way off the charts proof. And right. So, yeah. The way, comes, the way people. Objects, oh, they, sure. Yeah. So then they have to, they have to repeat it in a, make it even better. Then they repeat uh-huh. it and make it even better, better and better. So anyway, if you look at the entire body of work of uh, the psi experiments in many research institutes, starting with Duke University in the fifties. Yeah. J.B. Ryan. Yeah, yeah, this is the very best established uh, field in all of science. That is, we've proved the, uh, the reality of telepathy, precognition, and so on better than we've proved anything else. Well, yeah, there's no replication on a couple of surprising things. You know, we haven't been back landing men on the moon or women uh, or even uh, chimps and uh, dogs and uh, turtles and stuff. So the way they experimented with those uh, – but Apollo has never been replicated, and uh, on December 14th, it'll be 50 years. The uh, last time we were on the moon was December 14th, 1972, with Apollo 17. So that hasn't been replicated. We have much better technology in aerospace and in today than you know, with the 50 years skeptics would computing. Say. Yeah, they say there's an obvious reason why we haven't been back, because we never went there in the first place, because it's really, that, really right, hard. Right, right. Really hard. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing is... Um, They've never replicated uh, the the uh, 1903 flight at Kitty Hawk uh, by the Wright brothers. They tried to build another balsa wood plane with bicycle parts and everything, and they had the Discovery Channel had it live, where all these experts got together and tried to reconstruct it exactly. And they set it off on top of this hill, and it went <laughs> right off to the side into a ditch. So, well, that uh, but that I, people will never fly. <laughs> yeah, so uh so yeah, that one we have plenty of evidence that the planes do fly, but they've never been able to get that first uh, Wright brothers model to fly. Although we have a video of it getting off the ground for like 30 seconds or something uh you know in North Carolina or Kitty Hawk is. So well, that, that was probably uh, faked with crisis actors. <laughs> right. Yeah. D- d- don't tell so, Fetzer that. <laughs> yeah, right. He may run oh, with it. So, oh, so anyway, okay. I, I saw this thing, uh, and then yeah, the flat Earth people are not going away because they've got, you know, the uh, fire of God in them. You know, they think this is uh, real stuff, and that they're going to get heavenly reward by onward Christian soldiers. They got to fight the good fight here. So Eric Dubay and uh, I know uh, Ed Henry a, a little bit. We we swap books with each other. I'll send him a copy of my book. And he'll send me a copy of his, and uh, he's a lawyer in Virginia. And uh, not an unintelligent uh, person, but uh, he just uh, once you make that uh, commitment to a literal interpretation of the Bible, you know, you get these passages and they're like 15 of them. And you read Daniel, the tree, I don't care how high the tree is. If you're on the opposite side of the globe, you're not going to see it. So that's Daniel four. It's chapter four, verse 11. But, but, but wait a minute, Sterling. Let, let me uh, yeah. give you a, a counter argument there. Uh, oh, OK. Uh, that, there are uh, countless uh, cases, anecdotes about near-death experiences in which people were lying often in a hospital bed and their hearts had stopped and their brainwaves had stopped. 
And what they experienced was floating yeah. above their bodies and looking down at their bodies. And they could see the whole hospital room, and they saw details that later were shown to have been true. Uh, such people have also gone outside the room and risen up and mm-hmm. looked at the uh, at the planet uh, or at the you know the portion of the planet where the hospital was. And there are people who uh, have learned the art of astral travel. Uh, and are able to project their consciousness outside their bodies. And the military, of course, did all kinds of experiments with this. Uh, yeah, and the men the who gave the goats. That, yeah, the men who stare at goats, right? But, of course, yeah. those were just the ridiculous ones that didn't work. The real one, the ones yeah. that actually worked, they're not going to tell you about. But in any case, uh, there's no reason why one could not see a tall tree from anywhere on Earth uh, using that kind of vision. Right. That's, again, using see, not in the literal sense of seeing, but that's, you know, some kind of mental vision or remote viewing capacity. But if you interpret the Bible literally, that they're saying you can see it. And it's actually the other way around. It's, it's that you can see from atop the tree, you know, they mean see in the ordinary sense of using your eyes or, ordinarily. But yeah, you could in, you know, invent some other way of doing it with remote viewing. And um, the... Uh, and I, I guess the, the, other, the, the end of the earth, though, you're right. The end of the earth also sounds like if the earth has an end, it can't be a globe. Yeah, and they talk about the four corners of the earth. Uh, so let's yeah. go through some of these passages. Uh, one of my favorites is Job 38:14, chapter 38, verse 14. As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay, pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. So the key part of that is clay pressed beneath a seal. See, if you're pressing clay, which is soft ordinarily, and you're pressing it like a a seal on a letter or, you know, um, you're flattening it out. When you press a soft substance like clay, you're flattening it out. So people say if you interpret that literally, that's Job uh, 38, 14, then you get your flat earth uh, just from, and all we need is one of these things. If any one of these, passages is correctly interpreted literally then voila we have a flat earth and the earth is uh it's an oblate spheroid uh that's a little bit chubbier uh sort of like many of us in middle age or or later uh it's a little chubbier uh below the uh, belt of the equator i, I hope you're above. not turning into an oblate spheroid yourself <laughs> I'm trying not to. yeah it's a little the oblate part is it's the the poles are slightly flattened they're not flat but they're a little flatter. But actually, if you uh, miniaturize the Earth, and don't do this, Kevin. If you miniaturize the Earth to the size of a billiard ball, and don't do that, uh, the Earth it. would be the Earth would be smoother than a billiard ball, according to uh, DeGrasse Tyson. Uh, what's his first name? Is it Mike or Eric? Eric DeGrasse Tyson. Yeah, so, no, Mike, uh, Mike Tyson is the boxer. But yeah, 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 Mike Tyson. Everyone's so, got so a plan until they smooth. get hit in the face. Everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. Let, so. let me stop you for a second, though, Sterling, because yeah. it seems to me that this Job quote uh, actually yeah. is asking to be taken figuratively, not literally. Okay. As the light approaches... Oh, it's Neil. The takes, it's Neil deGrasse Tyson. Sorry, Neil Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, so as yeah. the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay, pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. So... Uh-huh. One way of interpreting, I suppose, as you say, would be thinking of clay being squashed and becoming flat. However, another way of interpreting it would be that we we have first, as the light approaches, so we have this aesthetic description, then the Earth uh-huh. takes shape, 
And then when you're when it's being pressed beneath a seal, it's not just being flattened, but that a seal was used to impress clay with writing or images. So it's an artistic right. process. So God is using artistic creativity or something like it to create the earth. And then the final part of this is it is robed in brilliant colors, again, stressing the aesthetic creation. So this could be taken figuratively to say that God is making the oh, earth. Oh, yeah, of course. Sort of like an artist. Well, right. I'm defending the figurative yeah. interpretation of the Bible. I'm not defending. I'm attacking the liber- literal yeah. interpretation of the Bible, and I'm but I'm I'm perfectly happy to have figurative interpretation. Well, this one begs for a figurative interpretation. I mean, who well, would read I agree. this and think, oh, why, telling me the earth is flat? <laughs> well, that's yeah. why Edward Henry and Eric Dubé are messed up. I mean, they got to figure it out. Here's another one, Isaiah 40, 22, chapter 40, verse 22 in Isaiah. He, and I love this one. He sits enthroned, he being God. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. I love that part. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. See, now, if you're talking about a globe, you're talking about balling up and, and wadding up the material to form the earth. But here he's spreading it out like a tent or a, a canopy. And a circle uh, is a two-dimensional object. It's flat. It's not a sphere, which is three-dimensional. So, uh, and of course, if you spread out a canopy, it's not completely two-dimensional, but, uh, you know, it has a little bit of thickness to it, but um, it's primarily flat uh, when you lay a canopy down. So, and there's a similar part of the Koran, I understand, about an ostrich egg or something uh, that people talk about. Yeah, that the earth has the shape of a an ostrich egg. I don't have the Koran's uh, citation, but I saw a YouTube video prepping for today then and, and there was some uh quranic verse that has something about and the verb uh there's a verb that's similar to the uh arabic word for ostrich egg or something and so the verb can be interpreted uh as expanded uh it doesn't have to be interpreted as spreading out flat it could just be expanded are, 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 you sure this is, are you sure this is the Quran? Because uh, yeah, there's I, a I, video I, in, on YouTube. Uh, uh, I forget the guy's uh, name, but I can send you the link, and maybe you can uh, post it when you okay, post the archive version. The thing is, I've, I've read the Quran through in Arabic many times, and I really don't recall the ostrich egg part. And I just yeah, I just he's rejecting that engine. interpretation. If you interpret what, what, it literal, literally, yeah. then he says it says it's the shape of an ostrich egg. But then he says, that's a misinterpretation. So he's not defending it. Uh, he's, he's debunking it, but uh, let's see if I can find it. Hold on a sec. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's what I'm seeing is, is 7930. Uh, sort of the uh-huh. And so uh, let's see. Seven, 79. Where is this? 7930. After that, he's uh, spread out the earth. Well, oh, here it is. It's called the egg shape. Uh-huh. The egg shaped Earth in the Quran, spelled with a Q, and it's a six minute and thirty five second video. The egg shaped Earth in the Quran, spelled Q U R A N, and it's got the uh, three question marks after it. How many? It's got sixty nine thousand views. It was put up eight years ago by Learn Quran. Oh, Learn Quranic Arabic is the uh, outfit that puts it out. 
Nabil al-Khalidi delves into the question, does the Quran describe the shape of the earth similar to an ostrich egg? And he says, no, it does not. But there's some passage in the Quran that he's uh, on about. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, what I, I, I the stuff I just looked up. I've never seen any translation that mentioned that an ostrich Oh, hang on a sec. He starts out with uh, apparently a yeah, Friday I, I, we, prayer. Yeah, I don't think we want to listen to that whole video. Uh, no, 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 not at all. It's, it's six minutes long anyway. But uh, no, I just pulled out my headphones here. And so it's uh, making a making a noise there. Ah, good. So, okay. uh, but anyway, yeah, you know, it does exist. It was okay. it posted May twenty seventh, two thousand fourteen, on YouTube. Sixty nine thousand one hundred thirty four views. So check it out if you're interested in it. And okay. he's arguing against it. I'm not arguing for it. I, I know much much less about the Quran than you do as a practicing Muslim that you are. So, uh, but it, it, there's just an issue there. But I'm more interested in the, you know, I was raised in the Christian faith, although I, now I'll take my truth wherever I can find it. I don't care if it's Christian. And I married a, a Buddhist, so I've got that on my resume. So uh, so I'll take the truth pretty much anywhere I can find it. And it doesn't have to be out of one particular scripture or another. Well, I, I actually tend to agree with that. And, in, you know, part of the reason I came to Islam was I discovered the traditionalist school founded by René Guénon. And those people think that all of the divine revelations are true. And then I discovered that, that the religion of Islam also uh, says that there have been a thousand plus divine revelations that are all true. It's just they haven't all been perfectly recorded and, and preserved. So the Quran right. is the last one chronologically, and it's the one that was sort of meant to be the last word and, and well well preserved. Um, but well, the Shia yeah. the Shia disagree with the Sunnis on that. They think that the uh, was the cousin of Muhammad was the last prophet to seal the deal, or and, and but most ninety percent of Muslims think that Muhammad was the last prophet to yeah, seal. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think the Shia uh, say that uh, Ali was a prophet. Uh, there, there are actually oh. two different two different words for prophet, uh, oh. and and they're slightly different. Um, but in in both cases, Rasul and there's Nabi. Um, but I don't believe that the Shia uh, believe Ali was either of those, but he ha- does have this exalted status with them, and uh-huh. they pay an awful lot of attention to him. And, and he comes later in the story than Muhammad. That's the issue, that they thought yeah. that it besmirches Muhammad to put somebody later than Muhammad as like on a par with him or even approaching him or something. Well, he, so he's called the, the seal. He's called the Khatim al-Anbiya. Yeah, Quran so once and, it's sealed, it's hard to kind of squeeze in there past that seal to say, well, I'm a big deal too. And, uh, you know, otherwise they're pretty uh, diverse and Catholic in the small C Catholic because, you know, Jesus is a prophet in Islam, just a prophet. He doesn't seal the deal or anything. doesn't compare well, to well, Muhammad. He is, but... he is the uh, the Messiah and he's the one coming back at the end of time to set things right in, in Islam. Oh, and he's well, born of a virgin. So he's, he's very, he's, he, he's the Ruh he's, he's the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh-huh. you know, miraculously created by God. In Islam, you're talking about in Islam. Yeah, yeah in Islam. All of this is yeah. true in Islam. Islam basically yeah. accepts accepts all of the miraculous elements of Jesus. Uh, the one thing that it differs from Christianity on is the uh, crucifix, 
crucifixion uh, uh-huh. in Islam, it's purposely described in such a way as that we we assume that Jesus actually wasn't crucified. It says it says that they thought they were crucifying him, but they were crucifying an illusion. And what that uh-huh. means, whether God took up Jesus's soul or consciousness so that he didn't have to experience the horror of crucifixion, whether it means yeah. that God swapped him with Judas and Judas got crucified in a body that looked like Jesus, which is one interpretation, or whether it means whether the Christians are right and Jesus really did get crucified, that there are ways you could try to make that compatible with the. Well, that's worthy well. of a conspiracy theory. That's sure. sort of like J.D. Tippett's body being used for JFK. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of people. Uh, think that jd tippett's body was sub for uh, jfk's body or something so uh let me give you another bible verse if i may revelation 7 1 chapter 7 verse 1 after this i saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree so put that in your pipe and so smoke it, Kevin. Earth has corners. It can't be. Yeah. yeah. Four corners, not just, you know, instead of five, it'd be maybe a pentagon, but it's four. So it's kind of square, like a flat earth. A lot of these flat earthers seem to put a square down. They're still like that Monty Python thing at the beginning of uh, Life of Brian. They had a little flat earth short at the beginning of that where it was uh, flat. Matthew 4, 8, chapter 4, verse 8 in Matthew. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. I think this is Jesus that the devil took to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their splendor. See, you can't go up on a mountain on a sphere. I don't care how high the mountain is and show somebody all the kingdoms of the world. If you're interpreting it literally by showing them with the senses, the regular senses, not the ESP mm-hmm. senses that you were on about. But that's interesting. I have to check out J.B. Ryan, the parapsychologist from Duke, and see uh, how good that reputation is. Why aren't people running with that on The Tonight Show and everything? Uh, he had Uri Geller on, Johnny Carson did, and Uri Geller struck out. He couldn't bend any forks or mm-hmm. or read anybody's mind. Whenever yeah, they he's, he's had a, a checkered career and a kind of a mixed record. Yeah, yeah he's the Israeli uh, ESP. He's still around, I think. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, probably uh, still, still bending spoons before dinner every night just to keep in practice. <laughs> Here's another one from Job. Uh, Job 37, 18, chapter 37, verse 18 in Job. Can you join him in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze? See, that's the other thing is the earth is supposed to be kind of hard and fixed here. But I don't think I gave you the ones about the earth being fixed. Um, but spreading out, see, sounds like you're flattening. Um, and then Job 26, 7, chapter 26, uh, verse 7 in Job, uh, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. So again, the spreading out, you'd think they'd be balling things up or wadding things up if he's going to create a sphere, but if he's going to create a flat planet, he'd be spreading everything out. Here's one from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That's another one where he talks about the, they talk about the four corners of the, the earth. And then Edward Henry has this book called The Greatest Lie on Earth. 
proof that our world is not a moving globe. He doesn't like the fact that it's moving either. And, uh, so does he believe in corners? So where are these corners? What, what's in the, the four corners? <laughs> if, I, if I go to the I corner and I look there, what do I see? And what's on the bottom of the earth, you know? But this other guy, Dave Wagner, I was told you about a PhD from Trident uh, University Online University, a former student of mine. He's skeptical of global warming because he thinks that, you know, it cools, the earth cools at night. And I said, well, Dave, you know, when the sun goes around the earth, uh, it warms up the other side of the earth, so there's no net cooling. It gets cool on the side of the earth that's in night, but the other side of the earth is in daylight. And he doesn't have an answer for that. So, And then I, I show him all these passages, and he does take a literal interpretation. He, he doesn't believe in all these fossils and carbon dating, so he does take a literal interpretation over and over again. But he denies uh, that the Bible... Uh, implies flat earth but then he makes this argument that seems to suggest flat earth that at night the earth cools and so of course you don't have any buildup of heat you know you just go outside at night and it's it's cooler so uh kind of crazy huh yeah yeah i mean to me the, these flat earth arguments are so uh weak and in most cases preposterous and in some cases where they find some sort of sub-argument that might seem to support their viewpoint, like they you know, find some experiment where they go off in the ocean and try to look at trees, treetops in la- on land and sort of you know, look at when they disappear, uh, whether there's yeah. a curvature of the earth, this sort of thing. Uh, it, it's really amazing to me that so right, well, much here, effort so has gone into this. This, this. this is a little more scientific. The, the surface of the Earth is about 71% water. Um, there are different estimates, 69 to 71% I've seen. And this is from National Geographic and the National Oceanic and Space Administrator or whatever. So, uh, and water, they argue, always finds its own level. If you put water in an aquarium, it levels off, right? Unless you keep shaking it or something. But uh, so they say, well, if you've got 71% of the surface, being water, uh, you're going to have a flat earth because the water always finds its own level. So stick that in your pipe and smoke it. What do you say to that? Seventy one percent more than half. It's damn near three quarters. And if water is always level, that's sort of a, a rule of thumb. But uh, I went up when I, my parents had a condo for the first time in Myrtle Beach, North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, called the Brigadoon and North Myrtle Beach in Horry County, H-O-R-R-Y. It's under a lot of water right now with uh, Ian. But I went up, uh, they lived on the 11th floor, 11D, and I would visit them during the holidays. I'm an only child. So I looked out, I was reading the newspaper on a lounge chair, and, you know, they had out on the balcony so I could enjoy the sea breezes. And there was this little article in the paper about the Flatter Society met again yesterday or something, you know. And I looked up, and I saw, you know, the rail protecting me from falling off the balcony was level and i saw the ocean uh was not level underneath it and i could see you know it was the gaps on the on either so i so i actually went and got a ruler out of my room and uh put it up to my eyes and lowered it and i stood up and and i put the ruler and i slowly lowered it looking out over the atlantic ocean and which part of the Atlantic Ocean, which part of the ruler, left, middle, or right, do you think the Atlantic Ocean showed up first when I lowered the, the ruler in a level fashion uh, from covering my eyes to allowing me to see? 
probably the top. Left, left, middle, or right? Oh, middle. Or yeah, the middle. So the Atlantic Ocean showed up in the middle first, and then as I lowered it more, I would see more of the Atlantic on the left and the right. So you can actually observe from the 11th floor. I did this in like the 80s, uh, 70, late 70s, early 80s. And uh, so you can actually see the curvature of the Earth. Um, and when you're coming, you know, you see the ship disappear over the horizon. And they deny that. They just say, you need a better telescope. You'll see it. But if you go the other way, they, they're flummoxed. They don't know what to say, these flat earthers. You say, well, what if you're coming back to shore after going out on a long voyage and you're coming back to shore? When you start to see things on the shore, you see the top of the lighthouse first. And then as you come closer to shore, you see the middle of the lighthouse. And then when you come closer to the shore, you see the the grounding of the lighthouse on the on the ground. And so uh, they don't have an answer for that. So you're coming over a rise, right? You're coming over a curve. And so that's why you see the top first and then the middle and then the bottom because you're coming over a curve. But they can't believe that. There's a wonderful documentary called uh, Behind the Curve on Netflix. So check it out. And Eric Dubay is in there. And he's trying to have a laser go straight across open water to show that it's level instead of curved over open water. And then Ed, Edward uh, Hendry, uh, who I have some acquaintance with by email and mailing each other books, he's mentioned in there, too. It's called uh, Behind the Curve. And they, they take the film cameras of the documentary documentarian to a flat earth convention and they interview a lot of flat earthers. And it's, uh, it's like kids say the darndest things with Art Linkletter. If you go back that far, uh, yeah, I, I, go I, back I, that I, far. I guess that dates me to say, <laughs> I do remember that. Uh, <laughs> I, I get so, people so saying the darndest things in my comment section too. Yeah, I'll bet. So there may be some flat earthers show up there. And, oh, yeah, uh, I, I have some flat earthers in my audience. Uh, shout out to my, my flat earthers here. All um, right. Well, fortunately, not too many. <laughs> yeah, there's room for improvement then. So there's hope yet that humanity can solve its problems if we can get past this flat earth stuff. And if people yeah. start thinking that Paul's alive and the Vietnam War was not thrown by Kissinger and Nixon and Ford, but they, they People will actually fight to throw America out. Do you believe that, Kevin? People will actually shoot at America. Yeah, why would anybody (laughs) want to throw the U.S. Empire out? I mean, we're the good guys. Okay, we killed 60 million people in our military and CIA interventions since World War II. 60 million innocent people, but we're still the good guys. Uh, How could anybody not like us? And people say, but how did they beat us in Vietnam? I just don't understand it. What could possibly motivate these peaceful Buddhists and, and Catholics? You know, why would they fight against? Other Catholics in our army, it just doesn't make any sense. And, but, you know, it turns out people like to be free uh, of imperial domination. And there was a neo-colonial war we took over from the French colony. And by the way, don't blame JFK. Ike signed the CETO Treaty, Southeast Asia Treaty Organization, which doesn't exist anymore. And a lot of people would like to see that happen with NATO, but not me. But uh, we, we know some of our mutual friends feel that way about NATO. But Ike is the one who signed our, our commitment. And Ike, Ike, if you look at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial listing all the dead, it starts in, it's a chronological listing. It's 1959. JFK didn't get into office until 1961. So it's Eisenhower who signed the treaty that committed us to the war. And he's the one who uh, had the first war dead. And it's documented on the Vietnam Veterans Memorial by the great Maya Lin. What an architect. She won a competition at a very young age. It's a beautiful 
memorial. I've seen it with my well, own eyes. Should, as long as you're mentioning that, Sterling, you should also mention that it's possible that JFK's determination to pull out of Vietnam was a factor in the coup d'etat assassination. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, yeah because the NSA uh, memorandum right that after that. Yeah, yeah they, they had a memorandum just a couple of days after his death saying, yeah, we're going to you know, cancel yeah, that policy. withdrawal of a thousand the troops. He yeah, wanted well, a thousand. So we, we, we hit the bumper music. The, uh, the, the oh, shadow okay. of the earth is falling over us. So we'll have to do this again sometime on another topic. Yeah, so let's do it. Let's do it. Have a good, have a good one tonight. Okay, and, thanks. Uh, greatest mystery of the Beatles. The greatest mystery of the Beatles on Amazon. Greatest mystery of the Beatles on Amazon. Take care. Thank you, Kevin. Bye bye. Yeah.